0: Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Okay, resurrection. Fact or, freak? Fact or fiction? Well, I think we've talked about before on this course, I think the quote has come up, C.S. Lewis, who had a very famous saying, you can see S. Lewis who wrote Narnia and a, a heck of a lot of other books as well. He famously asked the question, how could Hamlet know Shakespeare? Well, this isn't his direct quote, but so Lewis muses. Well, Hamlet couldn't find him by going to the back of the stage and looking in the right corner. Hamlet couldn't find him by putting him in a test tube and doing scientific experiments. Hamlet couldn't even find him by asking the right people. He couldn't ask Fortinbras. he couldn't ask Polonius, he couldn't ask the other characters in the story. How could Hamlet know Shakespeare? Well, the only way Hamlet could know Shakespeare is if Shakespeare himself wrote himself into the story. If Shakespeare came on stage and said, Hi, Hamlet, I'm William. I made you, I created you, I know what you're here for, I have the answers. Only if Shakespeare did that could Hamlet truly know who he was. Well, likewise, I think over the last few weeks, we've been having a lot of really interesting discussions about the really big questions of life. And I think we find, or we have found, that it is very, very difficult to be sure of the answers. I know even on my table, we've had some really interesting discussions, some really good points. And it's very hard to work out which is the right one. But the great claim of the Christian faith is that 2,000 years ago, God himself did enter our story. That God himself came onto our stage and he said, hi, I'm Jesus. And the answers are found in me. Your big question, said Jesus, he said, look here. It's not only that I have the answers, Jesus said, I am the answers. And crucially, he even claimed not just to know, but to be the answer to the biggest question of all. What happens when I die? He embodied the answer by beating death itself. My grandpa used to always say to us, he used to say, the scary thing about death is there's people dying these days that have never died before. And I think I suppose he was dead right. And death is scary, death is frightening. And what are the answers? Well, the claim of the Christian faith is the answers are found in this man, Jesus Christ. And that's who we're gonna look at today. So I had the privilege between, oh, was it 2013, 2017, so I left two, two and a half years ago. I had the privilege of spending four years studying theology and philosophy at Cambridge University. And as I did so, I specialized in New Testament history, i.e. the hundred, first 100 years of Christianity. And as I specialised in that area, I realised more and more that the historical evidence stacks up emphatically in favour of Jesus truly being who he claimed to be. And I'm going to try tonight to give us a whistle-stop tour of that evidence. And of course, what we're going to come to is perhaps the most emphatic piece of evidence of all, his resurrection. And therein lies not only a fascinating piece of history, but the very answer to death itself and as I go through this evidence I hope that you'll realise that billions and billions of people across countless cultures and time periods have trusted this man Jesus Christ with good reason because in him are the answers even to death itself and there is ample evidence to back it up so let's jump in hold on this has gone missing now forgive me i'm i'm trying to i'm here we go i've got it here now i'm trying to get the hang of the ipad but I'm not doing a great job of it anyway let, let let's jump in so first of all miracles well many of us grown up born and raised in ireland grown up in um, either a catholic or a protestant tradition i'm sure many of us have heard of the miracles we've heard of turning water into wine we've heard of feeding the 5000 walking on water healing the sick even raising the dead Some of the most famous events in history and I wonder tonight have you ever stopped to think whether they might actually be true because perhaps most interestingly of all all of Jesus's followers agree on this great claim about miracles but most interestingly of all even Jesus's enemies agree that he performed miracles so as a historian I used to look at this particularly interesting document called the Babylonian Talmud and the Babylonian Talmud was written by a group of Orthodox Jews, probably representing these characters, the Pharisees who appear in the Gospels, who really don't like Jesus. These Orthodox Jews try to discredit Jesus. And they write in the kind of 20, 30, 40, 50 years after Jesus, and they try to discredit him and say, do not believe in this man, do not leave our Orthodox religion to follow this man. And, and they try to discredit him on many fronts. And at, at one point in the, in the Babylonian Talmud, they come to the issue of his miracles. Now, what do they say about his miracles? They say, don't follow this man, because he performed miracles by the power of the evil one. And they go on to sort of make that point, that he performed them by the power of Beelzebub, the devil. But you see, they've given the game away there, haven't they? Because surely, if Jesus didn't actually perform miracles, the easiest thing for his enemies to say is, hold on, you're making it up. We were here, we never saw his miracles. But no, even his enemies say, yes, he performed miracles, but but, but, hold on, it was by the power of the evil one. Do you see what's going on there? So all of his followers, en masse, thousands and thousands of followers spread throughout the Roman Empire saying he was the greatest miracle worker of all time. And then even his enemies say the same thing. Now this is without precedence. There is no other character of history in history about whom there is so much evidence that they were a miracle worker. No other character in history. Nothing like this. Okay, so there's the issue about his miracles. I think fascinating piece of historical evidence. For me, a very difficult one to ignore. But we don't stop there because as we dig into the evidence, not only do we find a miracle worker, but we also find probably the greatest moral teacher that ever lived. Let me click on. There we go. The greatest moral teacher that ever lived. Here is a man, Jesus Christ, from a poverty-stricken, largely illiterate, backwater of the Roman Empire. And yet from this same man, who seems to perform these great signs and wonders, also comes probably the greatest moral teaching of all time. I wonder if you heard of it? How about this one? Matthew 7 verse 12. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is a remarkable ethical statement that still reverberates today. No one had ever got it to a T like that before until this man Jesus Christ. We take this saying for granted now, right? It seems obvious now, but no one had said it like that before. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's good stuff. Or what about Matthew 6.25? I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Or Matthew 5.38, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, if someone snaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek as well. Turn the other cheek. Do unto others as, they would have to, as you would have them do unto you. And we could go on and on, the story of the prodigal son, the story of the, the, the sayings in the Sermon on the Mount, the story of the wise man who built his house upon the rock. This is probably the greatest moral teaching of all time. And it's remarkable that it can be so perfectly translated out of Koine Greek into English, a language spoken thousands of years, uh, 2,000 years later in a very foreign part of the world, and yet still makes such poignant sense. So I wonder who you think was the greatest moral teacher of all time. And I wonder if you can quote him. I wonder if you can quote Plato. I wonder if you can quote Socrates or Confucius or Cicero. No, I suspect very few of you can. Maybe a couple of you, but I suspect not en masse. However, I know that you can all quote Jesus Christ, even if you didn't know it. Because he was probably the greatest moral teacher of all time. And yet, unlike all those aforementioned blokes great though they were, it's very unlikely that Jesus ever received any formal education. And of course, he's not even most famous for his teaching, right? Those other guys, that's all they're about, is their teaching. That's that's what's most remarkable, and history remembers them still today. Jesus Christ, this is just like a byproduct almost. I mean, for a start, we've already talked about his miracles, and we haven't even got to the climax. We're coming to his resurrection. So do you see how the evidence begins to build up? There's these miracles. There's this teaching that he delivers. And that leads us on to another amazing piece of evidence, another unprecedented piece of evidence, prophecy. It is absolutely remarkable how accurately Jesus Christ fulfills various ancient Hebrew texts written between 600 and 1500 years before he came. There is no other historical figure who comes even remotely close to fulfilling prophecy in the same way that this man Jesus Christ does. Now, I, would lo- I think prophecy for me is the most interesting topic, and I would love to talk about it for, for a lot longer. But we don't have a lot of time. We want to get on to discussions. So let me just chat about one, okay? Let's chat about one. Let's go with this one. Joel. There was a prophet called Joel, and Joel wrote about how God himself hundreds of years before Jesus, how God himself would one day come down to the Jewish people and on a great and glorious day save his people. And in one famous line, Joel effectively says, we'll know that great day has come because there'll be a lunar eclipse to signify it. So this is what he says. Joel says, on that great day, is the kind of prologue to it, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Interestingly, we can compare this with lots of other pieces of ancient literature about lunar eclipses. And this seems like a very typical way to speak about lunar eclipses. The sun turned to darkness and the moon to blood. And then interestingly, if you look at all the other four gospel accounts, so the historical accounts of Jesus, when they talk about his death, what do they say? They say famously that at the point of his death, the sky went black and the moon turned to blood as Jesus Christ died. There were three hours of darkness spread over the whole land. So the four gospel writers say, wow, on this amazing day when Christ died, there was this lunar eclipse. 600 or seven, 800 years later previously, Joel says the same thing. Well, hold on, maybe the Gospel writers are just making it up so that rest- retrospectively they can cohere with prophecy. Okay, you might say that. Well, in 1990, enter Sir Colin Humphreys, a professor of physics at Cambridge University. Now, being an astronomer, Sir Colin Humphreys, who later got knighted for his work, worked out a groundbreaking method to accurately date all the lunar eclipses that have ever happened throughout history in the area around the Middle East. What did Sir Colin find? He found that there was a lunar eclipse across the Middle East on Friday, April the 3rd, 33 A.D., between 6:20 and 7:10 p.m. The very date of the Passover festival, the very date and the very time that Jesus Christ was crucified. So, when you hear Joel hundreds of years beforehand saying the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, and when you hear all the biblical writers saying, yes, the sky went black and the universe shuddered as Jesus Christ died on the cross, I hope you begin to realise something utterly remarkable that this man Jesus Christ fulfilled prophecy in a way that no other historical figure ever has before and ever will again. This is unique. And of course, it's not just one random example. No, this Joel text is just one small example. I could easily stand up here talking for hours about Jesus fulfilling prophecy. And there's probably hundreds, if not over a thousand examples of similar situations like this one, where Jesus so accurately fulfills prophecy So maybe in your own time, read Isaiah 9 or Psalm 22 or Zechariah 12 or Isaiah 53. In fact, I would so encourage you to read Isaiah 53, to look it up online tonight and read it and see what you make of it. Okay, let's recap. So there is so much evidence that Jesus Christ performed miracles, more so than any other historical figure. It's that really interesting thing about the Babylonian Talmud, saying his enemy saying, yeah, fine, he performed miracles. Really interesting. Then this same man produced probably the greatest moral teaching anyone has ever delivered despite having no literary or educational background. But then of course it doesn't stop there because it wasn't a coincidence that this Jesus Christ performed miracles and taught with divine authority. No, it was all predicted in advance. Jesus Christ of Nazareth fulfilled prophecy in a way that no other historical figure ever has. Miracles, teaching, prophecy. Can you see Why billions of people throughout history have called this man Lord and Saviour? Can you see why our very dating system is organised around him? Can you see that even in him are the answers to life's biggest questions? The answers even to death itself. Anyway, back into history. 33 AD. It's not that long ago, it's it's, a hundred years more recent than Julius Caesar, a man we know so much about. It's 400 years more recent than Alexander the Great, again, a man we know an awful lot about. It's 500 years more recent than Socrates, 33 AD, not that long ago. This man, this greatest miracle worker, greatest teacher, greatest fulfiller of prophecy of all time is put to death on a cross. Well, what's the point of this talk? what's What's the point of what I've been trying to say so far? The point is, I'm trying to show you that it shouldn't be a surprise to see what happens next. It's not out of the blue what happens next. Because what happens next proves once and finally that the biggest question of all has been answered. What happens next? He comes back to life, resurrection. And it's not just a stunt to prove he is God. No, it's a statement that death is beaten. It's a statement that billions of Christians around the world stand on today. It's the statement that Katie stands on when she thinks about the death of her grandma. It's the statement that I stand on when I think of the death of my own grandparents. It's the statement once and for all that he is alive. And that he can be known personally today. Again, as so many of our testimonies have talked about, we had Emma and... Louisa and Katie talk about that he can be known today because he's alive and if you know him personally then the great promise is that you too will one day rise with him and that in him we find the answer to death so the resurrection I'm really short on time so we're going to crack on through this quickly but again where to begin I mean there are so many arguments for the evidence of the resurrection but let's just go for one so think with me where did the body go well This we do know No one who was simply apathetic Who just didn't really care about Jesus' cause Was going to be bothered to take the body So they wouldn't have taken them So instead it leaves us with two possible answers Of where the most famous body of all time ended up Well, possible answer number one His enemies took it However, we know his enemies couldn't have stolen and hidden the body because they then spent the next century and more appalled and horrified by the new Christian movement and desperately trying to discredit it. The Jewish establishment hated Jesus. The Roman establishment hated Jesus. Now, if they had stolen the body, surely they would simply have just produced it and been able to say once and for all, folks, we put an end to this dangerous myth. Here's the body. Done, once and for all. But no, they could never produce the body. So I think we can discount the idea. His enemies didn't take it. So no one who is apathetic to Jesus took it. Enemies didn't take it. Well, hold on, what about his friends? Ah, yes, his friends took it, didn't they? Because they thought this man has died and we've got we've to keep this going. We've got to create this myth. Well, well, of course they didn't. Because the early Christian movement, as I've said, was one of the most persecuted religious movements of all time. In fact, many, indeed most, of Jesus' earliest and closest followers were martyred in horrific ways because they were convinced that Christ had risen. And why would they do that if they had stolen the body all along? Why would you die for a myth that you know you had created? And again, be assured, the resurrection of Jesus wasn't an idea that developed over time as eyewitnesses began to die off. No, no, quite the opposite. It was the first principle of the earliest Christians. And we see that in many, many early texts and even even through graffiti on Rome, that this was the first principle of Christianity. (coughs) That when the woman finds him by the tomb, as the four gospel accounts say, and say he is risen, he is not here that that was truth, and it spread like wildfire. And hold on, let's just quickly touch on that. Ah yes, it's the woman, isn't it, who find him? All the Gospel accounts, who sees Jesus risen first? Well, woman. Now, you need to stop and think about that, because disgracefully, in the Roman world, like it or not, Roman, women were not allowed a voice in a court of law. So, for example, if Maria saw me being robbed, I couldn't call on Maria to be a witness in a court of law for me, because she was a woman. And in the Greco-Roman world, they scandalously believed that Maria's word couldn't be relied on. But the reason I talk about this, this, this idea of, yeah, as I say, of the woman not being trustworthy, is it's fascinating that when we look at the early New Testament writers, they still stick to this story that it was women that saw him first. And you have to think to yourself, why would they do this if they were fabricating a myth? If they were coming up with a story, that's not how you're going to start it. You're going to start it with men seeing him first. And the overwhelming impression is that these guys aren't reporting a myth. They're reporting what they think is true. And they're going to put it down even if you don't like the story because they're convinced it's true and that's why they go off and die for it en masse. And indeed, when we look at the New Testament writers, when we look at how convinced they were of the resurrection, and when we look at the way they suffered for it in the most horrific ways, the evidence begins to scream loud and clear, this man did rise from the dead. Indeed, within 30 years... News of Jesus' resurrection had spread so far and wide that it had taken a grip on Rome itself. So much so that the historian Tacitus tells us that the Emperor Nero blamed the Great Fire of Rome, a very famous event in which many people died and lost their homes. He blamed the Great Fire of Rome on the Christians as a means to have a more explicit excuse to kill them. As I say, news of the resurrection spread like wildfire through the empire. Why? Because the mass, the bulk of eyewitnesses could not help but spread the news. I'm sorry, I realise I haven't clicked through, so there we go. Those were my other prophecies, and we're on to the resurrection. They could not help but spread the news, and it took over even Rome itself and many other cities on the way. So anyway, miracles, teaching, prophecy, resurrection... Do you see what I found as I was a student studying this stuff? I found that the body of evidence is just too big to ignore. That there is a reason so many people still today claim to know this man personally. And it's because he rose again. Because he is alive today and because he can be known today. And the Bible promises that if we know him, then we know the answer even to death itself. And if we trust him, then he will take us through death and into eternal life, just like he first took himself. Death. It's coming for us all. There are people dying these days who have never died before. It's coming for us all. Well, I believe I know where to find the answers. The question is, do you?